0: Hey guys, we're back for the detour and we're live. And John, I don't know why it is every time we go live, you're always looking at your phone. You know the process. Just look down the barrel, be ready for when we. Hit that record button, mate.
1: I was looking down before you put me on. See, you can't help yourself, can you like that guy who put me up in the shop just the other day. He said, gee, that Dan loves to get into, in, in, in stuck into you, doesn't he? I said, yeah, I know. He can't help himself.
0: And uh, um, just your phone on silent as well while I got you on the ropes, mate. Um, we've, we've, we've got another big episode. Uh, obviously, Tour of Turkey, big talking point was Mark Cavendish winning four stages. But even bigger for us Aussies was jay vine uh what a what a race uh finishing second by a measly one second um but his story as well johnny um it's going to be a good app, i i suspect
1: i know going look be good. i'm really looking forward to uh, uh to uh, talking with jay who's uh, i think you've got him in the waiting room right now so we might as well bring him straight in but it's a wonderful story of how he got to the uh, the big dance floor and Jay, you join us now live from Gerona.
0: Thanks for joining us on the detour, mate. Uh, how are you feeling after a massive week?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, pretty stoked with obviously how it how it all went down. Um, you know, disappointing to 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 miss out by one second, but you know, we we as a team, I think we gave everything we had. Um, I certainly certainly tried every every trick in the book um, on that final stage after the bonus seconds were taken away, but. Um, yeah, looking back on it, it was probably the best way to to start my career, really.
0: Was there a bit of chatter going around? Like, uh, there's there's been a bit of press about, you know, uh, winning the Zwift Academy Challenge and, you know, I think we've found, you know, this emergence of virtual racing. A lot of them go, oh, yeah, how's that going to transfer onto the road? But the fact that you've got this result in your first race in Europe, I mean, you know, it, it shows that, uh, the data is is pretty much bang on. I mean, you're in really really good form.
2: Yeah, I mean, the I had some of these questions before as well, like how does how does virtual racing sort of transfer onto the road? And it's like it, it's virtual racing is not going to prepare you for wor- like World Tour pro racing. Um, the 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 moving through the bunch, like you could be you could be Primoz Roglic, and really burn so much energy, just trying to, trying to move around the bunch, um, inefficiently. So that, that sort of stuff you really do have to learn in real life, but using, using Zwift and all these tools as training tools to work out if athletes are talented enough to do the numbers is, is, I think a really good quality in virtual platforms because you can always teach someone to move through a bunch. You can always teach someone race tactics. Um, I think, yeah, it's a really good scouting tool for those parts of the world that don't have exposure to European racing, like Asia, like Oceania, like Africa, like South America. I think there are a lot of hidden talents out there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, look, I, I agree with part of that. There's no doubt about the hidden talent, but I've seen people you'll never be able to teach uh, how to go through the bunch correctly, mate. They just don't get it. But anyway, it's another story. But well, look, uh, I'd love to talk to you in more detail about how the whole Swift Academy thing happened and how you got onto the to the uh, world tour. But well, mm-hmm. we just t- touched on uh, on Turkey, your first race with uh, with your new team. So. Um, You must have been really nervous uh, uh, um, before the the start of stage one.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like it was not only was it my first race with the team, it was my first race, um, first race of the year. It was my first race in over 18 months in a bunch of over 50 guys. Um, (laughs) And, you know, like all this stuff, the first pro race, it's, first, first time in Turkey, it like, it's, it's a massive experience. And I, I was, it was, you know, it was snowing. So the stage had to get postponed and then moved and, you know, there's all these little things of racing around a, a city street circuit in Turkey for only 80 kilometers. So there was no real settle down period during the race. It was pretty much go, go, go the entire time. Um, Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was a new experience, you know, Um, but, you know, the team was really supportive. I had no expectations um, going into the actual overall event, um, which was really like pressure relieving, even though I sort of gave myself a bit of pressure to perform on stage five. Um, But yeah, I mean, once, once we were in the bunch, it was, yeah, it was pretty surreal racing against guys
1: that I don't ever watch on TV. That's for sure. So it was getting lots of uh, uh, attention in the race because uh, one, with with, uh, Cav, Mark Cavendish, uh, finally getting a stage win and then (laughs) continuing on. So everyone was watching it. But so it just takes back to the start. So the the team were, you know, knowing it's your first race. When did um, they realise that you were going to be actually a contender for this? Um, I mean,
2: so Christoph de Kegel had, you know, agreed that it was a good good idea to target stage five, um, and you know he'd 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 sent me a message that morning going, look, you're in really good shape. Um, we you, you you're basically going into stage five as good as you can be. Um, I'd done some some shorter efforts. I'd done some longer efforts during the first couple of stages, helping the team out in the finals and the starts, um, policing breakaways. Um, and then stage four, they basically just let me have a rico day, um, rolling along for four hours at 170 Watts. Um, so that was a really good, um, really good, uh, confidence boost that they had the, had the, the faith in me to give me a, give me a day off ready for stage five, which was really awesome. Um, they yeah, I think I think they they were pretty confident that I was gonna do something something in that stage five because they, they they used Jasper into the last seven kilometers of that climb, you know. He was there to win sprint bunch bunch of sprint finishes and obviously if, if he's the if he's gonna be the protected only protected rider for the race, you'd be keeping him fresh for that day. So I I I'm pretty confident they, they thought I was gonna do something special.
0: Was that purely based on data leading up to the race? Because I saw that you broke the um, the record for the, is it the Rocca Corba climb near Drona yeah, Rocca, there? Corbra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and was that enough for them to go, oh, geez, you're flying here? Or was it the data that led them to have the confidence going into Turkey? Um,
2: I, I I don't know what, uh, what data did it for them, but, you know, it's like there's all these nuances like, I did that Rock corber climb pretty well not fresh I had three days in the legs for that week um but it's it was it was basically only after you know 40 minutes of riding that I went and did that um this was going to be after four days of racing I'd only ever raced five days in a row um so this was after 500 800 kilometers in the legs um and it was also at the end of four hours of racing. So we hit that climb with four hours in the legs. Um, I think like 3,400 calories burnt for that day. So, and it was at altitude as well, which I'd never, never experienced. So, um, all these little nuances combined, anything could have gone wrong. So, yeah.
0: And what was the reaction after that stage?
2: Um, from who really like uh, i think the team was obviously stoked but sort of like yep okay this is just all confirmation ticking boxes sort of thing um but i mean from from the rest of rest of the world it's been yeah pretty pretty incredible like who's this guy where is he come from and um yeah i think Bree my wife was like on the edge of her seat the entire climb so I think uh, she burnt just as many calories as me. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's good. So take us through to that. So you're you're four seconds down. And then on the uh, uh, penultimate uh, uh, day, you managed to get that three seconds or three of those four seconds back in an intermediate sprint. Take us through how that happened.
2: Yeah, I mean, the team essentially basically – from the meeting after stage five, we were always looking to move up on GC. Um, it was going to be hard to to do it. And we only had a team of four at that point. So we couldn't really team attack or anything like that. We had to be sneaky. So um, the stage six, we came within 50 metres. It wasn't shown in the broadcast, but it, we came within 50 metres of getting bonus seconds on stage six. Um, the breakaway was sort of, coming back really quickly went as the sprint point approached and it was caught about hundred meters after the sprint point And we, we missed it by about five seconds. Um, the, the three riders soaked them up and then five seconds later, our trio rolled across the, the sprint points. So, um, but no one responded from the peloton when we did that. So we're like, oh, we might not be able to get away with that tomorrow. And we know there's crosswinds coming in stage seven, so the bunch will be really nervous heading into that sprint point. You know, we'll, we'll we'll try it again. We'll try this sneak attack sort of thing again. And once again, no one really responded. We got within 300, 400 meters of the of the of the bonus points, and. You could, you can, you can see um, Lionel in the coverage, sort of like looking like, are we, did we miss something? Is there someone else up the road? Are, like, are we missed nothing. And you know, as we cross the, cross the, cross the time bonuses, you know, I'm hearing through the radio, Marcel going, no one reacted. Like, did did we miss something? And Frederick's like, no, 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 no. We we definitely, we definitely, pretty sure we got. We got the time, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was um, yeah, pretty pretty funny that no one no one thought that we, anyone was going to try and move up on GC, but
3: yeah. Mm. And of and
1: course, I- you're one second. So you got your one second down, and you had a plan to try uh, and, and split it uh, at the finish to get that that, that gap. But uh, take us through the unfortunate part of that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the yeah the bonus seconds on the final day should have theoretically been the easiest, but a lot can happen in 23Ks and mm-hmm. Delco weren't having any of it. They started sending attacks up the road from the flag drop um, and with the only people really being interested in those bonus seconds being us and Delco, it was basically five versus four and... It, well, it wasn't actually five versus four, it was five versus four plus the rest of the peloton trying to form breakaways. So it was, we used a lot of energy trying to keep it all all controlled, ended up um, not being able to control it with uh, two kilometers to go. Two riders went up the road. And when I tried to attack out of the peloton with like 800 meters to go, I ended up falling short by a hundred meters and Jasper had to out sprint cav for the last um, green Jersey points. So um, yeah, it didn't, didn't sort of go, go, our, go, go away there. So, you know, they weren't going to give it up without a fight. Fair enough. Um, and the next, the next decision was, okay, we can either start trying to split the race by trying to get in moves, which we did for the next pro- probably a hundred kilometers. It didn't settle down for for ages, like th- two and a half hours of the bike race. It was just Flat out, I think it was the fastest stage of the race. Um, Forty-seven k's an hour average. So um, after after that, all didn't work. It, the final the final opportunity was going for splits in the finish, you know, and sort of hoping that there wouldn't be you know mechanicals or crashes um, in the last three k's to neutralize the time. Turns out, I was the one that crashed in the last three k's, um, and then. After the race, we found out Diaz flatted in the last kilometre. So even if there was splits, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. So all I can say is we we gave it everything we had. We tried every trick in the book and just came up short. How,
0: how did you find the level, Jay? Uh, you said earlier that it was your first race in 18 months, but was it harder than what you expected or, or were you going better than what you expected?
2: Um, I mean, I... I'm obviously going a lot better than I was at uh, Sun Tour last year but I mean the I think the level the level obviously is higher there's a lot more guys on the same level and there's a lot more riders in the bunch and it's the teams I think operate more as teams at this level Obviously, mm. at the lower levels, you have still got a lot of individuals um, racing as individuals that are sort of just wearing the same jersey, so you can sort of play people off against each other. Whereas this, there's no way, there's no way of outriding a team solo um, on, on parkours like that. Obviously, on on the Mali climb, it was pretty straightforward. Whoever had the watts in the finish was going to win. But on on Rolly parkours like this and the distances that we're racing, you, you need you need strong teams behind you. So I think, yeah, I, think I found a level, a really good level to go into at, for my first pro race, that's for sure.
0: Well, Turkey's been a good pathway for a lot of uh, emerging riders. Remember, if he, uh, Adam Yates won it, I think in 2014, I reckon that would have been his first year with the team. So it's a good yeah. litmus test for for races, obviously, moving forward. Now, we said earlier as well, the big talk was Cavendish winning four stages. Your teammate, Jasper, won two. What was it like uh, racing with the likes of, you know, arguably the best ever sprinter we've seen?
2: Yeah, um, really annoying for the first three wins because we were so <laughs> close three times. Um, and, you know, every, every afternoon we'd go into a team meeting with, you know, a couple of mistakes, um, that we, you know, we didn't make the same mistakes twice, we just made new ones. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the the running joke was, uh, we, yeah, we just we make all our mistakes tomorrow. And then that way, the following day we don't make the same mistakes again and we can get a win out of this. Um, and you know, when you, when you've got Cavendish in the wheel, you, there's no, there's no room for error. Like, it's, 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 you've got to be perfect or he's going to come past you. Just his sprinting style, you know, he's done it 150 wins. You've got to be perfect. So it was interesting being involved in a sprint lead out in my first pro race with the team and taking on the, the added pressure of we have to deliver wins. Like I've never, never experienced that before. So, um, Sort of coming into a team not as the underdog was, was, yeah, really, really a new experience. And it just made me want to strive to do my job as best as I could.
0: And with the, with the team, how have you found your uh, teammates uh, so far?
2: Yeah, really good. Um, I was uh, learning as much as I could every day, you know, stuff like not stopping on the top of a climb um, to, 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 take a piss um, because because at this level, you know, riders being dropped, they they may block uh, blockade the road and will barrage the road and you'll never get back on, stuff like that that wouldn't have even occurred to me. So little tips like that, you know, learning how to move through the peloton as a group, um, positioning near the front of the race for crosswinds, all those sort of things. You know, you hear on TV, you must be at the front for crosswinds. But it's easier said than done and, you know, you can't always be at the front for every kilometre of the bike race. So picking your moments and when to move up through the bunch, the, 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 the Belgians are so good at picking the moment to, all right, the Peloton's about to slow down because it's accordion together. I'm going to, instead of braking, use this momentum to go forward right now in, and gain 30 positions without using any energy they're they so good at that. So trying to learn that and keep my head up as well, looking forward, um, basically riding your bike about three inches from people all around you is, is just automatic for these guys. Um, actually looking around and the race tactics is, is what, um, what they're all thinking about. So, yeah. Uh,
0: and obviously, uh, you texting, John? That is just bloody rude. No, I wasn't
1: texting, Dan. I
0: <laughs> well, um, turned
1: my phone back on.
0: I want to I ask you about this guy, Matthew Vanderpoel, is obviously a superstar on your team. He still, to, to my uh, opinion, has the best win pose, as you see there, from Torino. Um, have you have you had a chance to, to speak to um, Matthew at all?
2: No, no, I haven't, um, haven't met uh, any of the other guys yet. Um, I was stuck in Australia um, sorting out visa processes for January, February um, and didn't arrive till March. So all the training camps were done. And because of lockdowns in Spain, we, it's, it's a pain in the ass to try and leave the country to then come back when you're not going away on business. So, um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, I, I didn't meet anyone on the team uh, except for Alex Krieger who'd come to Girona for a training camp um earlier in March until the actual race. So
0: well it's a, it's a shame there's COVID on at the moment because I used to just wing it. Whenever I lifted Tron, I just I wouldn't get any of the paperwork, mate. You used to be like, yeah, I'll just start holidays when your three months come up, get your stamps, don't go into the hot spot uh, airports, but I reckon they'd all be red hot at the moment now. Um now the the journey to get the contract is is quite incredible. Um do you want to explain to people what actually happened with the, the Zwift Academy challenge and, and how did you get the contract with uh, Alpacent?
2: Yeah, so the Zwift Academy for the last three years has all been under 23s only. So, you know, you could be, you know, under 23 and try and get a uh, continental feeder team contract with, I think it was BMC or um team dimension data that's the one um and that was essentially ruled me out um when I first started road cycling I was 22 but I was I was barely at a state level um cyclist so I was I, was, I didn't even bother signing up for the Zwift Academy because I knew I wasn't competitive at all um after that I was ineligible so I was trying to make my way through the the classic Australian uh Um, cycles of trying to get on the best team I could and try and get myself as many UCI starts, possibly in Asia, Oceania, and maybe if I was lucky, a European um, race or two. Um, But by the time I was ready for that sort of stuff, COVID hit. So uh, 2020 was Herald Sun Tour, fifth overall, and then nothing. So um, we had to we had to reevaluate of, okay, well, we've got, we've got this swift platform. Let's, um, let's, let's try and use that as much as we can. Um, and maybe I can get, get on a continental team in Europe. Um, but then the, the further on from that, the hard bit was trying to get out of Australia, um, you've got to have a special exemption that's usually only granted to people who have employment and continental cyclists are not employed. They're, you know, they're classified as amateurs under the Australian government rules. So trying to get out of the country for that was gonna be pretty hard as well. Zwift um, Academy announced that they were opening up the competition to elites in August or something. And that was when Bree, my wife and I decided that, you know, this, this, this is our only chance, you know, anything else that comes up throughout the year, be it NRS, nationals in January all that is secondary because your best chance of going pro in the next three years is probably going to be Zwift academy. So we, Pete, me, and my coach talked about peaking for literally every single little event they had. I think it was twelve workouts um, across eight weeks of, um, of of the of the academy, and yeah, we basically used used each workout as a a race peaking event you know take a recovery day with some openers the day before and you know we like we didn't even do them in order we we lined them up so that each day i'd uh have the best form for that for that particular workout
0: and so once you win that challenge that was the guarantee to to get the start you've got now
2: Um, yeah, yeah. So then, then there was a finals week in late December. So yeah, we're, we're already in December now when the finals Mm. are happening. Um, most contracts have been sorted months ago in back in August, September. Um, the, the, the rest of my teammate, my current teammates were actually on a training camp, um, at the time that the finals were going on. So I missed all the preseason training camps, um, they went on a second training camp in January, which I also missed because COVID. Um, and yeah, there was a finals week for about five days, maybe six days. Everyone was in different parts of the world. Everyone was in their own Airbnbs with their own videographer. Um, we did a couple of challenges. One, my favorite challenge of the of the whole lot was they took, they, they sent us out for a two hour, three hour ride. Um, at I think we had to average six, six, uh, 0.65 uh, intensity factor um, and then come back to the Airbnb and immediately jump on the indoor trainer and do a, uh, a scaled workout. So they basically took your FTP from a, a ramp test that you'd done the previous day And they recalculated the the values of Matthew Vanderpool's Amstel gold uh, race win for the last hour. So they scaled all his numbers and what's per kilo, and you had to do his efforts for the last hour of Amstel gold. So um, it was basically you had to do, I think I averaged an intensity factor of like Nine five, yeah, 0.95 for the fifty-eight minutes after already doing the the two hours of or well, the three hours of endurance. And the scary thing is that that still doesn't even compare to what he did because obviously <laughs> that was only three hours of bike racing, whereas Lance was saying like five or something.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Is he?
0: yeah,
1: okay, it, it was great to see those photos pop up that uh, you just put up before because uh, it took me back to that uh, uh Sun Tour uh, which is you know the beginning of 2020. Yeah, that's the shot there, and that was after the stage up at Mount Buller. So, you, you, you I remember you'd ridden <clears throat> pretty well up uh, Falls Creek two days before, so it's too. <clears throat> you in that little group about a minute there's a couple of you about a minute down but this was really impressive i remember uh you know you were only like a handful of seconds behind those two and they're both world tour riders now um you know yeah jai and uh and sebastian and uh i think you were only about nine seconds behind them so you really were were right in the mix i was very impressed
2: yeah i mean we learned a lot a lot from that race um Oh, this silly, silly stuff, like on, on Falls Creek, I, it was a brand new head unit that I had on that day and power meter was a pedal based power meter and I'd had the, the wrong crank length set. So we're riding up Falls Creek for over an hour and I'm looking at my numbers like, oh, these are, these are a bit low. I, I reckon I, I, reckon if I tack here, you know, the, the group's fairly controlled, we're we'll sort of going easy Lachlan Morton's up the road. If I bridge across to him, I reckon, reckon I got a chance of of, of doing something on this day. Turns out we'd been riding threshold for over an hour, and I was too focused on numbers at that point. Um, the Sunweb ramped it up, and I was caught like two two kilometres later, and dropped pretty promptly after that, and rolled in for eighth. So we decided that okay. Let's let's be a bit smarter here, <laughs> and um and wait as long as we can on on the uh bullock climb. And yeah, turns out waiting waiting was the best tactic. And I was I was positioned not 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 the in the ideal position when Seb attacked on um, on that climb. But I'm pretty happy with the third place on that stage. It was yeah, it was pretty surreal racing with. Um, the Yates, uh, Yates brothers, and um, the rest of the, the
0: rest of the guys that were there, yeah, yeah. Did, did, did you feel that you learn a lot about yourself having to deal with the setbacks of COVID? Obviously, you had good form, and then the racing stopped. But to you know, look back now and what you've done mentally, going okay, well, I'm going to find an opportunity somewhere else, and you did, and here you are now. Has um, that really built this sort of mental resilience? Do you think?
2: Um, I think I, I probably always had a bit of mental resilience. You know, coming from mountain biking, um, well, the marathon mountain biking side of things, you don't race really with other people. A lot of the marathon racing, it's it's very mentally challenging because you're you're pretty much solo most of it. You know, when I was when I was marathon racing, it was it was essentially just um, the Brendan Johnson show. Who you know, he he'd ride away from the entire group of, of the rest of the contenders in the first 20 kilometers. And it'd just be, who's going to make up the podium behind him um, for the, for the remainder 80 kilometers. So, you know, and, and in races that long, so four and a half hours, you, you always have down spots and being able to push through those, knowing that, you know, everyone's going through that sort of defines how you're going um, and how you're going to end up in the end. So, the 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 mountain biking i think or that aspect of the mountain biking really really helped um you know mentally prepare for that sort of you know challenge
1: if he i, I just know i noticed that you you're always missing the data and um and of course when you're doing uh you know, marathon ma- mountain biking so a lot of solo stuff of course you've got nothing not, not much else to go by but it's interesting to hear you also talk about the tactics in a bike race. So where where does uh, the data have to be stopped to be looked at and, and look at the situation and the actual tactics of the race?
2: Well, interesting you say that. So because of my experiences at a Sun Tour, being too focused on the data, we, you know, I, I sort of learnt, okay, I can't always just be focused on my computer. You know, I came into the sport relatively late, um, you know, I'm – sort of in that age of, okay, everything's numbers focused. Um, percentages is how you, is how, how the world works. But we, we, me and my coach, we really, really, really worked on in training, heading into Turkey, not looking at the computer, um, half as much as, as we were and, and pacing, you know, most of my efforts off RPE feel. Um, knowing that the altitude on stage five was going to really mess with the numbers. And at that point in the race, you really can't just ride to a number, you know, you've, you've got to, you've got to fight for position. You've got to um, you've got to go with moves, go with surges. And um, once again, with the altitude at 1800 meters, just because your your watts are you know fifteen percent lower does not mean that you should be pushing harder because you'll blow up pretty quickly.
0: Um, do you still want to ride virtual races throughout the year, or now that you're over in Drona, is it is it all about the road?
2: Um, I mean, I'm I'm still keen to to do some uh, indoor racing. the The issue is going to be whether it fits around the training schedule. So the the intensity that you need for indoor racing, you just can't. You, it'll 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 almost ruin ruin your week of training, um, especially if you've got you know back to back tours coming up. You can't be putting too much intensity, and in, um, otherwise you'll 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 ruin your season. That coupled with um, the the Premier League that's going on right now, you you have to be in a um, in a Zwift team already to be able to to be able to participate in those. Um the, the Zwift Worlds is something that I I'm gonna be looking into hopefully if it's uh, in the in the December region again. Um, I think that'll be a good uh, warm-up essentially for the nationals running in January if they put it back to the original time slot.
0: Well, there's talk that if he, it might be in the Olympic games down the track, because we've had Michael Rogers on the, on the show is really leading the, the virtual racing side of things for the UCI, but the sky seems like it's the limit. I mean, are you still dead against it, John, given that you're old school?
1: I was never dead against it. I just don't understand it well enough, actually. So I, I, I can't shouldn't knock anything that you uh, that you don't know much about it. So even I, I'm fascinated just listening to you talk about the, mm. the whole Swift Academy uh, uh, um, because it's just something I don't know enough about. So um, yeah, you tip me into that one, Dan. But I'm not going to go any further with that one. I, hey, it's a new world out there. Old farts like me, but I suppose, I have to uh, uh, start. Uh, getting on the t- coat of it how,
2: how... I, like to, I like to think of it as like it's a different discipline you know if not mm. everyone likes cycle cross racing not everyone likes um not everyone likes trials um 20 inch trials uh mtb um i don't know it's not racing but you know that competition um you know, not everyone likes every sort of discipline. So, I mean, there's going to be a bit of crossover between road cycling and, and indoors with racing. But the, I think the coolest part of it is when you get guys who, you know, are racing the tour de France that, you know, hop into Zwift racing, you know, and they're they're just doing their training and, you know, you you can take, you can take the racer off the road, but they still want to win on the indoor trainer. Mm. So, you know, it's it's the competitiveness is always still there, and yeah. you know, Zwift racers know the know the game, and you know, they quite often can beat a, a, a seasoned European pro just by knowing the nuances.
0: Um, you mentioned so, cycle cross earlier. Your team's obviously known for cycle cross, and and we had Heinrich Hausler on a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about how beneficial that was for his early season form. Is it something that you'd want to dip your toe in?
2: Um, I uh, possibly the, yeah, the amount of stuff that I want to do is, 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 is too much for my first season. That's for sure. So my, my, my goals for the end of the year are going to be um, probably, hopefully starting, starting Lombardia. That's, that's a big goal of mine. Um, and obviously that being in October, still got to have a, an end of year break. And I'm really wanting to have a good run at nationals for next year, you know, um in January which means there's not going to be much of a break there um how much intensity can I put in to a December block um and then you've also got to factor in am I going to be in Australia or am I going to be doing a a European camp um over here with the team so there's yeah a bit too much to sort
0: of look at right now so, uh, you've moved into Girona. What what made you choose Girona to base yourself?
2: Um, yeah, mainly the the fact that there's so many other Aussie cyclists here. Um there was, there's there, a bunch of them moved up to Andorra basically as soon as I got here, but we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> Ho- hopefully it wasn't because I was coming. Bad but. breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. It seems to be the the place to be, you know, all the, all the English speaking writers sort of moved to, to this part of Spain. And um, I'd spoken to, to Jimmy Whelan about what he thought of the place. And yeah, he said that, yeah, the, the riding's great, the weather's great, and um, the roads are great. I, I'm i yet to be abused. I think I've done 2,000 kilometres, 3,000 kilometres on these roads so far, and I haven't been abused once, which, you know, most people riding in Sydney, Canberra, and Melbourne, they, they'd laugh at you if you told them that.
0: Well, it, it wouldn't make a big difference, um, that expat community, um, particularly, you know, We've talked a, f- a bit about, uh, you know, Aussies that have had to go to Europe and, and how much harder it is compared to, you know, people that have grew up in the UK or whatever. Um, you've only just recently arrived, but how have you found the transition? Does it feel a bit weird given that we still are in the middle of this pandemic and and your family are back home in Australia?
2: Um, well, not not, not, too, not super weird. Like, Bri, this is the first time Bree and I have lived, lived alone together, um, but my, my, I mean, I, I moved out of home when I was 18. Um, and yeah, we we saw our parents. My parents moved away from Canberra pretty promptly after that because my dad was in the military. So I'd see my parents maybe once or twice a year. So it, that that's not really different. Um, it's probably a big thing for Bree. She's basically never lived outside of Canberra, her hometown. Um, she'd never been overseas until basically jumping on a plane and moving over. Um, I guess the good thing about COVID was um, the fact that we got to have an entire row of economy class seats to lie down on and sleep on the plane. <laughs> um, Almost but, like business. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, the, the actual the actual transition, the weirdest part is some people speak English here well enough to get by and then others completely do not understand a word you're saying. So Mm. I can only imagine how hard it would have been, you know, 15 years ago before the invention of the iPhone, trying to translate stuff without the help of Google translate and stuff like that um, would have been incredibly hard, but you can get, you can get away with a lot of stuff in, in Girona um, without knowing too much Spanish. So the, the transition hasn't been too hard.
0: The secret (laughs) is find a mate that can speak Catalan and Spanish and just hang out with them and let them do all the grunt work. That's what I did. I could barely order
1: three beers at the end of it. But um, anyway, you move on. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) I was going to say, what's your uh, immediate uh, uh, future? what's What's your calendar of races coming up?
2: Um, so yeah, with, with the COVID and the cancellations and stuff, it's, it's pretty hard, you know, the teams happen to juggle 30 other guys as race calendars. Um, so we're, we're still in talks about what, what my future holds. I can't do any world tour races just yet. Um, I'm actually really hoping that, um, the anti-doping agencies sort of start knocking on my door a bit more. Um, for the biological passport stuff. So when I first got to Rona, I was here, here four days, I think. And then they rocked up at my door to take some um, blood passport stuff and really hoping they rock up again so that I can do some world Tour races, but. um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a requirement for that um, in the UCI rules. So still waiting for that to happen. But um, the, I think I'll be staying at the pro level for a little bit. Um, I mean, they, the, the uh, Christoph de Kegel really wants to, wants to do right by me and the and the Zwift guys to develop me. You know, they they're not just trying to, you know, fulfill the contract and just churn me out and then spit me out on the side after one year, and that be that. So they're really trying to give me as much experience in races that complement my talents. Um, and not just you know put me in gent well again as my first race. Um, you know when I first got to got to Europe in March. Um, yeah, I, yeah. It's I think it's I think it's going to be a good year, but it's going to start off a bit slow.
0: And okay. and you mentioned uh, Lombardia before. What what is it about that race that um, you really love? Like I, it was the first. It was the first uh,
2: classic that I I watched. Um, you know Dan Martin. Um, he was sort of a new rider to me. I think he'd, uh, I think he hadn't, hadn't done that well in the tour de France, but you know, in, in years after that, he, he'd been really active and really aggressive and that never, never die attitude of the way he, he races in the grand tours is, is pretty special, but you know, I'd, I'd watched, I watched Lombardia in 2014 when I first got into cycling and it's. It's it's just so cool to see Grand Tour riders going up against classic specialists. Um, you know, you've got it's the likes nice. of Phil Gill winning it twice, um, but then you've also got guys like Nibali winning it twice, um, Joaquín Rodriguez uh, winning it twice. It's the, the list of names on that podium is uh, Esteban
1: uh, Chavez mm. won it. You know, you wouldn't yep. have expected yep. him. Esteban to, won him it in it a that. sprint.
2: Like, <laughs> <it's crazy.
0: Yeah. laughs> that was nuts we've got a fan comment of course it's wendy superfan hi dan hi john hi jay awesome watching you race up to second on gc woohoo so good on you wendy thank you wendy um so if we if we were to check in with you in say five years time um what would be ultimate where you're at i mean what what is the the, the longer term goals uh for your career mate
2: Um, I mean, I, I, I want to, want to give myself some, some reasonable goals, but I don't want to be like super outlandish. Um, I I think one of my, my big goals would be to be standing have stood on the podium of Lombardia. Um, I want to have a, have a, have a green and gold Jersey, um, at a, at a national championship, whether that be in the time trial or the road race, um, and I really want to represent Australia at a at Wollongong. Like that. that's a, a big thing for me in 2022. So, um, yeah, I think, I think if, if, if I'm able to complete those three things, I'll be stoked,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sounds, sounds like a good plan, mate. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs>
0: well, I'll start uh, hooking you up with uh, George Bennett as uh, a Girona and uh, uh, Andorra. Right, I think he ran second, didn't he, at uh, Lombardia last year? You can pick his brain; he'll, yeah. he'll give you some tips. And uh, Sam is another good one. You can go training with there. He'll he's good for event session. You can get a lot of stuff off your chest. Yeah. Um, but but there's a good there's a definitely a good network of, of riders out there. Uh, if he anything you want to add before we let Jay go and get to
1: your sponsors scripts. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't understand um, that you wouldn't be able to ride world, uh, pro tour, pro events until um, you get more testing. So um, I didn't realise that uh, a system. So you were able to ride Turkey because it wasn't actually um, pro tour. Is that how it worked?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the world tour, the actual world tour designation um, requires more training uh, more samples to be taken um, Okay. and unfortunately they don't do blood samples during, during race events. So um, they tested me, but they didn't take blood at Turkey. So it's like, are you guys taking blood? Yeah, no. Oh, okay. okay.
1: <laughs> so okay. how, so that's interesting. So how many tests do you have to do before you go to, to to race?
2: I don't know. I think, it, I think it's three. Some people say it's six. I, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. And obviously they can't take them, you know, day after day because there's nothing, nothing much is going to change. So, yeah, um, it could be a few months, it could be a few weeks. I'm
0: not sure. Yeah, oh, mate. You've, up, mate. You've, yeah, you've always got Zwift, mate. That's yeah, you can always come back to that. Uh, a couple more comments before we let you go. T Kingo says, Surely victory in the Cricket should be top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Neil Phillips yeah, yeah. says, Well done, Joe. Best of luck. <laughs> For the future. so um, Yeah, now it's fantastic to have you on the show, mate. You're a, a budding young superstar of the future for sure, and I'm sure you're going to tick a few of those bucket lists off uh, over the following years, definitely. So really cheers. appreciate you being on the show, buddy.
2: Cheers, cheers. Just a thing on that Bay Crits thing, I don't think I'm suited to that sort of racing. I mean, if you, did, if you saw my sneak attack on Stage 7... Gasper didn't even get out of the saddle to follow my wheel, and I was
0: maxed
2: <laughs> there, to get, and then he's rubbing his brakes as we cross that that bonus second line.
0: So <laughs>
1: well, you you're going to do virtual yeah. bay crits anyway, Johnny? eh? you? might you might have trouble on the on the hot dog, but the the, the circuit up in the in the gardens, you'd go right up because it's a nice little hill. And I could just see you going whack up over that hill. No worries, Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, good. Well, thanks for joining us, mate. And uh, yeah, all the best
0: uh, in the near future. Cool. Thanks, guys.
1: mate, Great stuff.
0: Jay Vine, one absolute legend now. Johnny, um, time to get through your sponsor's plugs, mate. You want to kick things off with Let's Go Motorhomes.
1: Yep. There it is. Look at it. Beautiful. Let's Go Motorhomes. Why not holiday in Australia's? best motorhomes and campers. They love helping people have incredible holidays. So as one of Australia's leading uh, rental companies, they have vehicles to suit all types of travellers for all kinds of adventures. And you be sure they'll go the extra mile to make your road trip the best time ever. So just give Andrew in there a call. Uh, um, he's, the, he's the boss and he will plan your whole holiday. So you said an area you want to go to. Mention to Andrew and he'll... Um, set the whole thing up. As I say, plan, plan and plan is what, they, uh, what they're all about. But um, as funnily, they're all Jayco camper vans, so you wouldn't believe it, would you? Yeah, and speaking of Jayco, <laughs> get down and get yourself a Jayco if you need one. Well, I mean, we always say, you know, if you, if you, if the biggest uh, uh, caravan manufacturer in, in Australia, 45 years of experience in history, uh, great value for money. Uh, Jayco RVs are designed and built to give you years of enjoyment. It's no wonder that one in every two new RVs on Australian roads is a Jayco. Find your freedom today. And with 29 dealers across the country, you'll find one close by. So uh, have a chat to your local dealer and uh, we'll get the best RV for your next great escape.
0: And Mitchell and Wines, Johnny. Well
1: got that spiel here somewhere there it is <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah the funny thing is i jumped off the, the to uh and i've got the google cry here we go i'm back mm-hmm. i lost it yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> technology it's, it's a wonderful thing one of australia's favorite wineries and a place of escape experience the history beauty and the serenity of the Golden valley at your own pace Look over the vineyards from the iconic tower and staying in their magnificent new hotel, relaxing by that beautiful pool, have a look at there, recharging in the day spa, exploring their seasonal menu at the Muse uh, restaurant, or stopping by the Provador uh, and touring in the in the cellars, of course, tasting their signature wines. You can recharge by the day and relax by night escape to a place of modern comfort and timeless beauty. And look at that beautiful bottle of, of some Masan. Yeah. And, uh, Mitchell's become, uh, renowned as an amazing venue for weddings and then that special functions. So they offer unique spaces. So you can, uh, uh, a wedding outside overlooking the beautiful Goulburn river or, um, inside uh, underneath the tower. You know, it's just amazing. And, um, Of course, there it is, the amazing Aboriginal art uh, gallery down in the the cellars. Uh, It's uh, the um, largest uh, privately owned uh, Aboriginal art gallery in the world, and it is staggering. You just see some of the quality uh, paintings in there. And there it is, my old favourite, the $10,000 Land Cruiser with a 5.5 million euro paint job.
0: It's back. I think that's an all-time lie.
1: We're broken records, folks. Uh, Here's a
0: quick word from our great mates at uh, Bike Exchange.
3: Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it is not. It's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is people that are looking for a bike or just a piece of it amateurs semi-amateurs and pro amateurs this guy wants this bike but with this crank and these bars this could be the perfect match but not this one this girl has a bike to sell and thousands of people might purchase it eyes on bikes help grow small businesses his hers yours and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides.
0: Thanks again to our great mates at Bike Exchange. Now, big weekend of racing iffy. Liège,
1: best on Liège on uh, Sunday, is it? Yes. Yeah, so we had uh, uh, Flesh Malone just uh, uh, finished yesterday, which is a, an amazing race. Finishes on the top of the Murdoy, and um, two you know, fantastic races. But uh, the women, uh, um, Anna van der Breggen, seven, seven. in a row, seven. seven. Yeah, that's that's that, that many. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny
0: that climb because there's certain riders that just it just suits them. I remember Albasini yeah. with the greenish. Every year he'd always be thereabouts, and, you know, obviously yeah. Valverde and Philippe won in the men's overnight. But, um, well, yeah, he certain did. riders. A great,
1: great win. And, and Roglic, uh, yeah, hit him hard, hit him early, but uh, uh, Alaphilippe uh, shows he's back on form. Uh, but, gee, how good is Valverde? He turns 41 this mm-hmm. weekend, 41. And uh, he was right there. You know, he was supposed to be hanging the wheels up. But he was doing the Olympics, and it was going to be his last year. He's suddenly saying... I actually don't feel 41. I think I might go on. And <laughs> why wouldn't he? Mm, exactly.
0: It's the opposite mm. of uh, this young talent emerging, like some of these guys, you know, uh, half his age. Like it's incredible. Well,
1: it's the one thing I was, I was going to say to, to young Jay, but uh, um, he's 25, but he's just, you know, just bursting onto the European scene. In the old days, they would have said, oh, he's just a youngster will help him along. He's almost an old codger <laughs> now. <laughs> 20 and 21-year-olds are, uh, are dominating the racing. But I think uh, I really like his style. He, he, he he's, uh, he's not overawed by it all. To, to actually make that decision with your wife, say, you know what? We can do this. Let's really give this swift yeah. full effort. You know, he really calculated it. He got, gets over there, rides into Tour of Turkey with against Cav and all these stars with teammates he's never even met before, and he's in the party End. So, I, I think he's got a big future. It's a great example of like if you've got focus and drive and you're
0: prepared to do the work, it's going to take you there. You know, a lot of people just go, Oh, nah, it's probably not going to happen, don't bother, or whatever. But if you do actually Go for it! I mean, the doors will open up, and that's why when you hear the bucket list and goals, you're like, "Yeah, it's going to happen. It will happen." You know, that's reminds it me of you. Remind of you and me, uh, Dan. <laughs> oh yeah, when we pitched the doco idea back in two thousand five, <laughs> and here we are, Johnny. The detour still lives. We're still going, mate. <laughs> yeah, uh, as we always say, if you want to uh, get behind the show, YouTube.com forward slash the Detour Podcast. Tick on uh, subscribe and notifications. Uh, we're going to be back. Uh, we, we'll have to obviously recap Liège, and we've got some big guests lined up. But also, when the Giro starts, we're planning to go live every stage like we used to. So we'll just have a set time. Go for it. Johnny will be five minutes late, but that'll be fine. But we'll be, be every night for the Giro. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and then All you good, want to Daniel. add, John?
1: All good? All good, Daniel. Yes. All yes, right. You're a superstar, mate. <laughs>
0: Yeah, thanks, mate. We'll see you again on the next Step Saturday Tour. This is the winning ride of the tournament.